People always tell me, you should have your money working for you. Because you send your money out there working for you. A lot of times, it gets fired. You go back there, what happened? I had my money. It was here. It was working for me. Yeah, I remember your money. We had to let him go. Well, welcome everybody to the first, first edition of the Super Terrific Happy Hour. Joining me is someone who fits all three of those adjectives, <laughs> the delightful <laughs> Stephanie Pommel. Steph, mm. come in. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Are you super yeah. and terrific? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm also happy. So this is, this is the perfect time to record this. I love it. <laughs> now, the beauty of this is no one needs to ask anybody where they are these days. Like we all know the answer is sat at home. Right. <laughs> but but what I mean, home for you is New York. What have you been doing in your time stuck in your apartment? Uh, I, I've actually been doing quite a bit of spring cleaning, conveniently enough. Spring cleaning and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That's sort of my... Uh, <laughs> My primary occupation. Right. Now, uh, cleaning up the mess when you drop a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know that doesn't strictly count as spring cleaning, right? <laughs> and presumably you've been switching between uh, CNBC, Fox Business, Bloomberg TV, and the Desperate Housewives of somewhere or another. Exactly. There's always a Desperate Housewife somewhere, I've learned. And thank <laughs> God for that, because that's, that's my sanity right now. I, I'm, uh, I'm willing to bet that around the country, around the world, there are plenty more Desperate Housewives now. <laughs> They're all stuck at home with their desperate husbands. With their, uh, now, yeah. What we need to do is explain to people um, the title of this podcast and where it comes from. And I feel like if there's one person who can do that better than anybody, it's going to be you. So why are we calling this the super terrific happy? I, I think it's lamentable that we need to explain the title to anybody. <laughs> Listen, uh, not everybody, not everybody is as big a fan of Seinfeld as you are. Oh, I am sad, but true. Um, so the super terrific happy hour, actually now you're forcing me to test my memory, but I think... The storyline in this particular episode was that um, the Japanese had a program called the Super Terrific Happy Hour, and Jerry had done some role in that. And uh, there's some flock of Japanese tourists that Kramer <laughs> happens upon. And when they find out that he's friends with Jerry, they all are just adulating fans of, you know, him and his role in the Super Terrific Happy Hour. And was of he, course... That's Insanity whatever. ensues. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which is why this is the perfect title for our little podcast here, because uh, I feel I, I take the role of Kramer in this little podcast. Oh, I'm gonna, we're going to try and track if all you, these if fans in. Kramer were all in these big fans trouble. in to see. Well, I've got the Kramer hair at the moment. That's for certain. <laughs> so look, what, we're, we're going to talk about markets. We're going to talk about things that we see that are interesting and and a lot of stuff that's going on. Um, we're going to have some hopefully interesting guests. Uh, if we get guests who aren't interesting, then we'll just cut them off straight away. But before we before we get to any guests, you, we're going to try and have a dry run, you know, this week and see how this goes on. And what, and what I wanted to really talk about, seeing as there are so many, well, I've written about this recently, you've written about it recently, so it felt like it was a good idea for us to both sit and talk about it. And that is the ways in which the world um, is likely going to change post what do we ever really want to call it? The COVID <laughs> shock, the pandemic, um, the plague. I mean, there will be yeah, the plague. I don't know what we're going to call it. So, um, so yeah, I figured we could noodle that around and try and work out where we thought 
the the stress points were, where things would change, if there were any opportunities we could figure out. What do you say? You mean you don't think that everything is going to just go right back to normal? Is that what you're well, suggesting? I, 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 I would I put it to you, first of all, that that may not be the case. Yeah. Despite the despite Wall Street's finest assuring us that that will be the case for sure, and we and we are going to get a V-shaped bottom, and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. No, I guess I I have to confess I share your suspicion that maybe. V-shape isn't what we're going to get. I can't really pick a letter of the alphabet that I think would be appropriate. Can you think of one that... Uh, I do, I've gone through the alphabet. I'm moving on to punctuation now to try and find something appropriate. And I, I'm failing miserably. Dash, I, mean, I, dash, I have no dash, idea. Dash. Yeah, right. But, but what do you... I mean, what do you... When you look at the stuff that... Because um, the, the thing that's really amazed me is is the the, the estimates that... Wall Street's best and brightest were making about how bad these numbers are going to be for the last month or so. Um, and they've not even been close in the level of devastation being wrought everywhere. And yet these are the same people who are saying V-shaped recovery, everything's going to get back to normal. I don't understand how they can be so wrong on the downside, but people are willing to put so much faith in them being right to the upside. Well, isn't the idea that the worse the downside the more dramatic the rebound we're going to have. I mean, is that how it works? I, I guess so, right? <laughs> but this, is, but this, but this, ultimately, that then this is predicated on there being a rebound. It, it, we can't go the, the L-shaped recovery is not an option. Right, right. Well, and I think that confidence is imbued by this massive wave of monetary and fiscal stimulus that we're seeing not just here but globally. Don't you think? I mean, uh, certainly the the credit market has done a, a v-shape rebound on the fed's actions there minus but they, but certain they, I mean, segments. Like, this is <laughs> this has worked before i mean is, is it is it as simple as that it's worked before so it'll work it's, it's bigger and it'll the problem's bigger the response is bigger so it'll work again yeah i mean i i think um i mean maybe cynically i think the alternative is just too dark to contemplate. We we have to believe it's going to work because if we've thrown all this money at it and it doesn't work, we've right. we got a, a major problem on our hands. I, I mean, what what do you but think? You, I mean, well, you, I mean, you, you put a chart together, um, I guess a couple of weeks ago, which showed the uh, the unemployment rate. Oh, yeah. versus delinquencies, which I thought was just a fantastic chart. And we can't show people this, obviously, because it's just audio. But just just talk me through that chart, because it was it, it slapped me straight between the eyes. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it's so obvious that the unemployment right. rate and the delinquency rate would move up together. But it is incredible that when you look at those two lines on the chart, you actually have to squint to figure out which line is which line, right. you know, because they, they move so... Uh, closely together. And obviously, you know, if you think that the unemployment rate is going to pick a number, 20, 25%, whatever, yeah. um, it would suggest, it would imply that you're going to see a spike in the delinquency rate to equivalent levels, which actually, you know, it's not, the scales are, obviously, no, the no, scales no, but, are but a little it, different. But, but the correlation was, is almost 100%. Right. That's, that's the scary thing. Um and so again, you come back to this idea that we're the the hope is that the spike to twenty or twenty five percent or thirty unemployment is a couple month phenomenon, and then we come right back down. So we don't have to deal, we don't have to worry about that delinquency phenomenon because this is obviously just going to be a very short term situation. Right. 
Um, but, but but those charts weren't lagged, were they? They were they were no, they're they were on top of each other. It's not as though if it does spike and go down, there's a lag effect where maybe we get away with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I was reading I was reading yesterday. They did a survey um, with businesses. I can't remember where it was. I think it may have been in Texas. Maybe no, it was actually it was part of the Dallas uh, manufacturing numbers out yesterday. Oh, right, right. And they did a survey, and they were asking business owners, um, "Are you going to employ?" basically the same number of people you can play basically hire everybody back again uh-huh. um and it was i think it was 35 percent said yes uh 42 said no um they would have a reduced work for, workforce 15 percent had a much smaller workforce and the rest were don't know so it's basically like one in one in three companies one in three and a half companies are going to hire all their staff back and they say they say, right, I mean, right. that's, that's the, now, right? I mean, it's, that's before this thing has really unfolded. Right. So, when, you know, when you look at that, it, I, I just, I just, I'm just baffled to see where this whole idea of a V-shaped anything is coming from. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, when I think through all of the ways in which this experience is going to change people's behavior, people's behavior. So you're the consumer, probably. Yeah. You had that amazing chart in your piece this week, uh, showing the saving rate back in the depression and right. how you know what what did we hit? Uh, is it thirty well, I mean, percent? It, 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 it was a huge saving. spike into World War Two, when I guess people were either frightened for their lives or or everything was repurposed to the war effort and what I don't know. But when it came back down, it came back down to a much higher level yeah. than it was in the Great Depression. We saw the same, I mean, you've been talking about this savings rate thing for a long time, right? Yeah, I mean, post uh, the financial crisis and the housing bubble bust, you saw the same phenomenon where the saving rate spiked up and then it came down, but to a much higher level. Right. Um, and this really amazing thing about that um, is that it, it sustained that sort of higher level um, in the face of this unprecedented boom in financial assets, you know, household yeah. net worth exploded, and yet people continued to save out of income. So, I mean, if you just extrapolate that and you look at the financial crisis and the depression and the change in people's behavior after that, you could envision where the saving rate is at least at the margin, going to be higher than it was right. going into this. And with the consumer being the engine of the economy, it's not too hard to figure out that that's going to be a problem for the V-shaped recovery crowd. Um, yeah, you would think. I mean, this 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 behavioral thing, you know, people kind of forget that after the Great Depression, um, people look at kind of borrowing levels and say, oh, you know, it took, it took a long time for borrowing levels to get back. That was because nobody want, wanted to borrow any money. People were like, no, I'm not borrowing. I don't want any debt. I don't want any. And if, if that's the kind of thing we're going through now, which I suspect it is, a similar kind of beast, you have to expect a similar kind of reaction to people. It doesn't matter if you keep sending them credit cards in the mail. They're just not going to want right. to borrow money again. And we saw, so what, what, what happened? Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, we saw that after the financial crisis. I mean, it took a long time for consumers to come back and start borrowing on their credit cards and, you know, getting a little bit more aggressive with debt. And actually, the first wave was all the student loans because the uh, recovery was so anemic in terms of job creation that basically, you know, you'd go back to school and the government would finance it and you'd be, it was like a glorified unemployment insurance, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, so it took a long time for people to actually 
be willing to borrow to finance consumption as opposed to, you know, just getting by. Um, so, you know, I totally agree with you. I think that that's another moving part and it gets into, you know, maybe a topic for the next super terrific happy hour, but uh, of the inflationary implications of where we're going after all this. Yeah. Um, if consumers aren't going to be willing to borrow and they're going to be less employed, we got a little bit of a problem. In that well, regard. yeah, I think I think we need to we need to <laughs> carve out an entire hour yes, for inflation because right. there's, there's so much. But what, but what other me- metrics are you, have you been looking at and focused on to try and? Because I, I guess you and I have got the same issue, right? And, and, and I, I, there was a line I read years ago. Someone said that he. He was uh, he was given a best man speech, and he said, "You know, he said, you know, I um, I compare myself to Liz Taylor's eighth husband on their wedding night." He said, uh, <laughs> "We all know what I'm here to do, but somehow I've got to make it interesting for everybody involved." <laughs> and, and so you and I are trying That's to tell, give this message to people, right? Which is which is you know you, what's happening now is a message that you have been talking about for a long time to people. I have two, and there are plenty of others like us who've been doing the same thing. That's why you, and, you and I to... can only talk to each other because we <laughs> alienated other right. everybody right. else. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> but but how do but how do you try to get the message across now to your clients? Like, okay, look, this is what I've been talking about. This is what I've been saying to them. This is what you needed to be worried about. And now it's not a case of you need to be worried about it. It's you need to take some kind of evasive action. Right. Well, I guess I'm uh, the last thing I would do is come out and say I told you so because I, I'm no, sure well, that there's no point. Right? Well, and also the second that I do that, I'm sure that, you know, the market gods will come and smite me somehow. For yeah, yeah, right. So I, I'm definitely not doing that. No, we don't want you getting smoked. No, smited? Smoted? Smited? 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 <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Um, but I guess, um, I just like to take whatever the consensus is and highlight it and say, well, let's explore this. You know, what, is it really likely we're going to get this V-shaped recovery? And how about this idea we we were just talking about, you know, a new normal on the part of the consumer. And then you layer in, uh, you know, what we'll see in terms of corporate spending as well. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I can only try to direct people to the conversation in a way that right. they're willing to hear it. You know, I sometimes I feel like um, it's sort of like debating the existence with God of God with someone where it's very hard if you're an atheist and you're debating a born again Christian, you can't, these two people will never agree. Right. But right. to at least engage in a discussion, you can't come out and say God doesn't exist. You're a moron for thinking he does. And and the other person can't say you're going to hell because, you know, you have to kind of tiptoe and try to open the door. And so that's basically we're trying to tiptoe and, you know, just gently open the door to the idea that maybe perhaps it won't be V, maybe it'll be more like an L or maybe whatever before you start throwing out the end of fiat money. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. <laughs> but what about, what, what's the reaction been like that? I mean, have people softened their stance? Are, are they willing to believe that God might not exist now? <laughs> uh, I think we're, we're finding they're, they're more agnostics. But right. uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess 
the thing that I struggle with is I don't get a lot of uh, really vi uh, vicious pushback. Maybe it's the uh, benefit, perhaps, of being a woman that people aren't as aggressive in, you know, saying, hey, you idiot, you know, right. <laughs> you're totally wrong. So I don't know. Do you feel like people are coming around or at least open to the idea or are they still just uh, as you, dug in as ever? Uh, do you know what? I, 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 it's funny. I, everybody is so dogmatic about everything, right? I mean, there's the one thing I always try is not to be dogmatic about it. I mean, I, I have my views and I, but I realize I, I, I kind of decided a long time ago, there's two ways if there's something you're, you've got a high degree of conviction about, if you've got certainty, you're a fool. But if you've got a high level of conviction about it, you've got two choices. You either run up to people in the street, banging a, a pot in a pan, screaming, <laughs> listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, in which case they tend to turn around and run the other right. way. Or you kind of walk up to them quietly and go, hey, I want to talk to you about something. What have you thought about this? And then people will listen to you. And, and that's really the only way to do it. So that's what I've always tried to do. Now... I, I think what I noticed back in in Australia in 2007, eight was I moved down there in the end of 05 and I was talking to people down there about subprime housing and subprime mortgages. And, and when I first came down there, no one, they were like, what are you talking about? What's this got to do with Australia? Nothing. I said, well, look, it's, this is a big deal and this is how the dominoes might fall. And, and nobody cared because it was Australia and, and they were a long way away. And uh, the good old Aussie phrase, no worries, mate, she'll be right, was, was thrown at me all the time. But what happened was in 07 08, I, I would have people kind of casually saunter over to my desk and <laughs> kind of crouch down and go, oh, hey, mate, how are you? How was your weekend? Like, Listen, that's subprime stuff you were talking about. How exactly does it work? Right. So I think, I think there comes a point when people are um are willing to kind of entertain ideas that they didn't think were possible before and and it feels to me like that's where we are yeah. we're at the point where people are starting to think well yikes maybe this is a problem which is kind of that's the crack in the door that you're talking about right. that you need right right absolutely what's this what's the foot that you want to jam in that door to give yourself the best chance of them opening it and listening uh, to you wow um i mean there's so many ways in which that uh, V-shaped recovery uh, thesis are bound to be proven wrong. I guess you could pick any number of ones. Like, um, you know, your piece this week where you talked about the implications for the Eurozone and whether that can hold together. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's massive. No yeah. one's thinking about that as well, far as but, I can but, tell. But that's, but that's something, it's, I think it's just fatigue, right? It's Euro fatigue because oh, yeah, we've been talking yeah. about this thing um, falling apart for such yeah. a long time now and they've, they've come right to the precipice. I mean, that draggy, whatever it takes thing, they were, they were on the very edge of the whole thing going under at that yeah. point and they survived it. And I, and I just think people go, well, okay, this is, this is just another one of those events right. and they'll figure it out and they'll, but, right. but I, this is life and death now, right? This isn't just money going into the banking system somewhere. This is people in Italy dying by the tens of thousands and the Germans refusing aid to them. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a whole different ballgame. Absolutely. And it, the amazing thing is that it's not a conversation anyone other than you seems to be having. It's incredible to me that um, there isn't a serious discussion about what are the implications for the Eurozone moving well, forward. Well, I, I, I don't know that. I mean, 
I, I mean, it must be that conversation must be being had in Europe. I, again, I guess, right, I guess against the back, but but against the backdrop of oh, here we go again. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. the euro's going to break up. But I, I just I don't see how if you look at if you look at let's just take what they're doing in the US, right? Um, with with the money printing, mm-hmm. trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars thrown at this every day. There's a new program every day that you know they're backstopping something. We've got you know municipalities now and and counties and cities and everything's getting backstopped. They they cannot do that in Europe right. because of the way the ECB is constructed, because of the way the uh, European Union is constructed. But they have the same problems. Yeah. So if the Fed's solution is the solution to the problem, right? They need it. then Europe doesn't have the solution, right? I mean, to me, it's if you break it down, it's it's that simple, right? I mean, it's it's unless you print money and throw it at the problem, you are going to have half the companies in your country go bankrupt. Yeah, unemployment yeah. rates, and and don't forget the unemployment rate in these places is starting in double digits, right? right? right. That's that's the <laughs> so I, I just I mean I don't know I I I, I don't know why it's not further up people's list of priorities to kind of figure out, but, but it isn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about for U.S. investors, they should be thinking about this yeah. because it's obviously going to be a huge uh, impact on the investment outlook here as well. Um, but do you think people just smugly assume that, well, they'll rewrite the rules in such a yeah. way that they can print the money? They'll, yeah, they'll find a way around it is what, is what they always say. And, and right. you know, optically, they have because the euro is still together and they seem to have found a way around all the problems. But they, they kind of haven't really. I mean, the ECB's gotten away with some stuff, but, but there's, a, there's a ruling on May 5th by the German Constitutional Court. Again, those guys who have always kind of said nine to everything so far. <laughs> um, and they're going to be called upon again to try and break the impasse. I mean, who knows what they're going to do? I, I, I don't know. But, you know, th- this actually comes into something I want to talk to you about, which is something I know you've written about, and that is the the way everybody is trying to find a bad guy. Mm. And in Europe, for the Italians, the bad guys are the Germans right. because they're stopping them. Um, you know, for the Americans, we've seen Trump with the very deliberate Chinese virus stuff. Right. Um, but you, you pointed something out to me that I hadn't seen, and that was... The, the direction Frau Merkel was going in to, to kind of ease the pressure on Germany. Yeah. No, I think China is a natural scapegoat for this. I mean, obviously, they are the source of where the virus came from, so that makes it easier to sell people on it. But, um, you know, the level of um, sort of animosity that we've seen from global leaders toward China has been surprising, yeah. particularly, like you said, you know, uh, Merkel in Germany and for me, Macron in France. I mean, these guys, all these European leaders sort of prided themselves on being so globalist and, um, you know, the idea of demonizing China in any way was just verboten, uh, but yeah. apparently <laughs> um, less so now because everyone, you know, they are a convenient scapegoat. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. I think <coughs> it's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves because obviously um, if China really does get blamed for this in a global meaningful way and you're seeing moves already where you know it's not just in the u.s where we're talking about hey why are we sourcing 
critical pharmaceuticals and yeah. medical supplies from China. That's just asinine. Um, we're having that conversation here, but they're also having it all over Europe um, and Japan. Uh, so I think they're, the pieces are moving on the chessboard already in ways that are very dangerous for China. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm not a uh, policy analyst, but I don't think you really need to be to figure out that China is going to start to act out in response to this. You know, the more people push China away, the more aggressive they're going to be because they can't exist without this dynamic right now. You right. Know, their economy is really entirely dependent on maintaining this current uh, trade dynamic. Well, how do, but how do they... What can they do to try and uh, you know uh, uh, get themselves out of this? Because you're right, they're in they're kind of in a corner, which seems almost weird to to talk about because it always felt as though the shoe was on the other foot and China kind of had the upper hand. But mm. something like this reveals perhaps that that they don't. They're they're actually structurally much weaker than we would have thought before this. Yeah. I mean, I actually had been sort of, I don't know if I'd say I was bullish on China, but in general, every year you'd have these panics of, oh, the China bubble is bursting, you know, right. they're, they're, they're going to fall off the face of the earth. Um, and I kept thinking to myself, people don't get it. You know, China can't burst. They, their lives, the policymakers' lives literally depend on right. it because, you know, the populace uh, you get civil unrest there and it's lights out for um, all the people in power. So it's a really precarious situation. And I felt like, well, every time it looked like the economy was going to stumble, they would do whatever it takes, you know, yep. borrow a page yeah. Draghi and just get that the floor under the economy. And they seem to do it repeatedly. Um, but this is a whole other level because now we're talking about not just you know, some kind of dislocation domestically um, or a tiff with Trump on the trade thing. This is yeah. could be a global phenomenon where, you know, Japan talked about, I guess, in their stimulus bill for the coronavirus, they actually provided funds for Japanese companies to bring production back to Japan from China. I mean, that seemed really big to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, you're seeing that conversation in Europe, which again is surprising, where they're actually going to the EU commission, I guess, is going to sit down at the end of the month and come up with a strategy for how they can bring the critical medical and pharmaceutical supplies back to Europe from China. So uh, this is a different scenario it feels like to yeah. me you know this is one that like you said it's going to be a lot harder for china to ring fence somehow um, so what levers do they have if any i mean because it seems like suddenly they're in a very weak cause, you know, they, they were in a strong position because they were they were basically the guys with, who were throwing all the money around yeah. and, and offering all the cheap deals but it's suddenly it seems like they're they're very low on Leave us to pull. Yeah. Is there anything they can do, do you think? Well, they've been trying to do the um, sh uh, showing demonstration of like goodwill where they were sending medical right. supplies and whatnot. Of course, most of them were defective and <laughs> whatnot. Um, but uh, I, I guess they're trying to 
pretend to be a decent global citizen. I I don't think that's going to last very long. And then we did see some actions where they were saying, okay, we're not going to send you all the stuff that you really need. So getting again, they're getting kind of unpredictable. And and, uh, I think they don't know how exactly to go about this um, because this is blowing back on them in a way that they never imagined possible. Um, But in terms of levers to pull, I mean, other than just, you know, passing massive stimulus like they're doing now, they're providing an extension of unemployment insurance and they're extending welfare benefits and they they really need to expand those social safety nets big time to make sure that those billion people stay nice and quiet. um, Right. Well, yeah, hungry. I mean, hungry is the the main problem for them, right? If if there's any... We've already seen pork prices go through the roof. We've already seen that yeah. kind of food inflation that yeah. that is their Achilles heel. But it always has been. I mean, everyone knows that food price inflation in China is the one thing that Could. they cannot allow to happen. Because yeah. that's, you're right. I mean, there's nine people in charge and the other 1.699995 billion people know exactly where they live, which is, right. which is a problem. Yeah. But but what about the currency? Do they have any any kind of bullets left there with the with the yuan? Do you wonder? I mean, I um, I guess the question is, what is the benefit to trying to debase the currency now when you're being ostracized from the rest of the globe? I mean, you're trying to desperately trying to catch a smaller share of a shrinking pie, basically, right. you know, so that's, yeah. that's not very compelling. And it's even worse if you want to hand the populace some spending power, you know, make sure that they're actually able to sustain an existence without rampant inflation and all the stuff that they, you know, the necessities of life. So I, it seems to me like they're kind of, uh, Damned if they do, damned if they don't. And that, what, do you, what do you think on, on that? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of look at it a similar way. I kind of it feels to me as though they're going to have to maybe wind their version of capitalism back a little bit. They're probably going to have to start, you know, either price setting for important things like pork and whatever, or or, or taking over production again and renationalizing some of the vital. Industries, because to your point, and let's use the pharmaceutical industry as, a, as an example. I think the world would be much happier if Germany, for example, was the centre of the pharmaceutical production industry, and that I'm sure is something that could get up and running in Germany very, very fast. It wouldn't take them long right. to get that capacity, and obviously, it would be world class, whether it's Germany or Switzerland or somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, they have a head start already, right. but but to do that would be fairly straightforward. The only thing it takes is a willingness and an ability on people's part to pay higher prices for it. It's, it's that simple, right? And this is this is where you kind of start going down this inflationary yes. rabbit hole. If, yeah. if China is, as we suggest, basically on, on the outs now and people are like, you know what, we've had enough of this and we don't trust them and we don't want the inferior goods anymore and we don't want the shoddy quality control and we don't want that, the trade-off has always been the same. You, are you happy to pay high prices for it? Right. And until now, it was always no, because everyone was just trying to shred their margins and um, you know do the best job they could of creating enough money on the bottom line to buy their shares back with. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but, but but that's that's kind of how this starts, right? It's like, okay, would you would you would you rather 
be more comfortable in your pharmaceutical supply lines and pay mm-hmm. 10% more for your drugs. Right. And times like these are when people go, yes, I would. I'd be absolutely perfectly happy with that. Right. And then the question is, what do they cut back on to fund right. that? So that becomes another one of these dynamics where the discretionary uh, pricing power is zero and the non-discretionary items that you uh, see the inflation go up on. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that uh, the China thing is just going to be fascinating to watch. And honestly, I'm just trying to wrap my head around what how it could play out right now. But I think we're going to learn so much when the dust settles on this virus and we see if this was just, you know, a one-off where yeah. Japan said, oh, all right, we're going to bring some manufacturing back and the EU starts uh, making some rhetorical remarks that aren't so flattering. Um, or is this the part of a larger trend? And it, it, when I think about globalization in general, it seemed to me like we were already moving away from globalization yeah, I think so too. toward more every man for himself, isolationist policy. And this is just something that could accelerate that trend. Um, one would certainly imagine it would since it's exposed the, the dangers of relying on global supply chains for all of these things that we've come to uh, yeah. take for granted. But, but, but what, what, what about in terms of, because I kind of start at the very bottom up, which is me, my behavior. How's that going to change mm-hmm. after this? Because you know, obviously right. it's changed completely. Right? I mean, I, I haven't gotten on a plane in seven weeks, which is I haven't done that in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't been out of the house in <laughs> six right. weeks apart from that. But, but it's, it's, I think once, um, once lockdown ends, for, for a personal basis, I mean, how how will you how will your life change? I mean, you and I are kind of hermits, right? Anyway. Right. We don't <laughs> do much. But but I, I just I just I kind of think I'm I'm not going to be in a rush to go back to the movies. I'm not yeah. going to be in a rush to go to you know crowded bars and restaurants. And yeah, I, I I'm pretty sure my behaviour is going to change dramatically. Absolutely. No, I'm with you. I. Um, not that I was spending a lot of time going to crowded movie theaters before or concerts right. or anything like that. Um, so, but that I definitely would have no impulse to do. And I guess in terms of eating out at a restaurant, um, that's going to be interesting to see. But living in New York as I do, uh, you're used to basically being able to eat off the plate of the person sat at the table <laughs> next to you. So <laughs> this is going to be an interesting experience to see how, how that all works out. And and frankly, now all the great restaurants, you can get food delivery. So right, right. you can sit in the comfort of your own home in your pajamas, which nowadays is business attire. Correct. <laughs> I don't know. What's the impulse to go, you know, get all made up and gussied up and go out there and possibly get sick. I don't not too well, high. But, I mean, look, the other, the other part of this that's interesting to me is, is again, is the, is the, the kind of generational divide, which again, you and I have chatted about in the past, but this whole, you know, this boomer millennial thing, right? You've got, you've got the boomers who are most susceptible to this virus apparently. And you've got the millennials <laughs> and, and Gen Z who, so or Gen Z, if you prefer, who who <laughs> are supposedly m- more immune to it, and it's not such a big deal to them. And of course, both 
demographics are acting accordingly. The millennials are like, this is ridiculous. We all want to go yes. out and party. Why am I having to curtail my life to save a few old boomers? And the boomers are saying, well, we don't want to go out. We don't want to catch it. The problem being at this point, the boomers have all the money. Yeah. Right? yeah. So if, if, that, if that generation decides to stay home and cramp their spending habits, it doesn't really matter what the millennials do because they just don't have the assets at the moment right, to be right. able to go out and, and... It's such a good point, and it's important. I mean, I guess if you think, as you and I both do, that this market rebound is the classic snapback rally in the context of a bigger, longer, vicious bear market, um, and we're setting up for a big cascade eventually at the end of this, that boomer money that the millennials are sort of anticipating is eventually going to flow to them in the form yeah. of inheritance, et cetera, um, might take a massive hit. And then you face another question of like, the millennials are already feeling slighted uh, in terms of opportunity, economic opportunity and whatnot. That's gonna be even more profound of an issue if we do have that second leg of the yeah. downturn that we're anticipating. Um, cause I, I mean, I think I remember seeing some study and this is probably at least a year back, uh, that looked at what percent of millennials were anticipating they were going to inherit a lot of money or, or they were <laughs> basically, it, it was a part of their calculus in their mind yes. as to, you know, how much money they needed to save or, or, uh, just to sustain their existence. And it was a huge percentage of them which is shocking to me because it's just so not even in the way I think about right. my life at all. Um, yeah, you and I are Gen X, we, we, we're different. We, we're, in the, we're in the middle of the whole thing trying right. to play peacemaker <laughs> on both sides. It's like, can't, can't we all just get along? Right, we are, right. we are the okay. generation Rodney King, right. unfortunately. Get a job. <laughs> but, but look, I mean, let, let's, let's, let's talk um, about the stock market because you, know, you brought it up there uh, and we have seen this extraordinary Rally. I mean, extraordinary to me, given the, the the seriousness of the surrounding conditions. I mean, it's not extraordinary in terms of historical bear market rallies. Right. And, and, and everybody, we were all talking about, there's going to be a face snapping rally at some point. Um, Your it, piece this week, where you had the table of all the different snapback rallies. Was. Yeah, I mean, but but it's it's it, it, look, we, it was utterly predictable. This thing, right? We we all knew this was happening. But is it simply that that the amount of liquidity that's been thrown at this thing is of an order of magnitude greater than we've ever seen? Is that the only thing that's propelled this farther than we thought it could, or is there something that I'm missing about this? I mean, it has to be that because. In the past, you could have blamed share buybacks for a lot of the right. move in the rally. And this time, unless I've missed it, I don't think that that is no. something you can point to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just I, I, you also wonder how much of it is all the uh, algo black box. Yep. You know, you just once the move starts going. It just the momentum feeds on itself, and now that's the new trade. You just you buy them and buy them and buy them. Um, so I, I guess to me it does seem like it's that simple. It's just when the Fed came in with the fire hoses, everyone said, "All right, well you'd be a moron not to just 
you know, stand behind them and, and let them uh, goose the markets and just buy what they're buying. So, so, what, so what does it take on that basis for this to run out of steam? Because we, I think we now know that they will throw an unlimited amount of money. Yeah. So whatever happens, they're going to come up with another trillion, another trillion. I had the chart in my piece this week of the projected deficit, you know, which is going to quadruple uh-huh. to almost $4 trillion, which is, I mean, beyond belief, but, but, but it's, 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 a, it's a very real probability, not even a possibility. So what does it take for this thing to fall over? Because you've got people like Carl Icahn, you've got people like um, uh, Paul uh, Singer, You've got a lot of guys with a lot of experience who are very good at picking tops and, and, and trading bear markets, saying they expect new lows to be made, um, significant new lows. What, what does it take, do you think, for this bear market rally to run out of steam? Is it, is it the reporting season? Is it finally yeah. seeing... I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm asking the question. I, don't, I just don't have a clue what the answer is. Well, I don't have a clue either because going into this before... But you're the brains of this operation, yeah, damn so- it. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the case, we're in serious trouble. Oh, my gosh. But coming in t- before the whole coronavirus thing happened and I was thinking this market was just insanely overvalued and was going to have this crash, um, the rationale that I kept coming back to was, well, it'll happen when people realize that their expectations for earnings growth are completely unrealistic and that we're not going to get the the earnings growth that they were anticipating. Um, And now this happens and you see the forecast for earnings growth, which are, you know, down massive this year and then up even more spectacular next year. So basically we're net out to just even um, it's like the year didn't even exist. Um, and so I, I do come back to that because I feel like the stuff that I like to look at, the macroeconomic indicators and the shift in consumer behavior and uh, corporate borrowing and that sort of thing, is all irrelevant to the average manager. You know, yeah. the, the, what it really is going to come down to is tell me, are the companies what are companies telling me? You know, they're they're less interested, and understandably so, in what the BEA tells us GDP is. They're, they want to hear from companies. And until the companies start to say, look, you know, things were bad, we thought they were going to get better, and frankly, we're disappointed because things aren't coming back the way we anticipated. And now we have higher costs because we're bringing production back from China and whatever, um, and our margins are getting squeezed and the consumer doesn't want to pay higher prices so we can't pass the input costs along. I mean, until we get to that conversation, I don't know. It feels to me like that hope will continue to spring eternal. But But that that suggests to me that we we maybe... We come through this earnings season and the companies say, oh, my God, our business has been devastated, but we're expecting a strong rebound so it almost feels like we could go on for another through this Don't quarter and it. into the next Don't quarter until <laughs> no, but it, because if 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 the if the hope really does spring eternal that way yeah then you can easily construct the narrative by which people rationalize this poor quarter because the conference calls we all know most of them will be right very upbeat and because that's the way it works. You'll get the, a few of them being honest, saying, look, we don't expect things to bounce back, and they'll get punished. But 
it, it almost feels as though, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but the path of least resistance for the markets is higher for the time being, which which is remarkable to me. Well, the other risk that I think is material is the junk delinquency phenomenon. Yes. And so for now, and you and I have talked about this prior, but uh, even with the Fed's uh, expansion of its corporate credit facility to include the fallen angels, it's leaving behind the huge swath of debt that was already junk. And those yeah. companies aren't doing better today. You know, I mean, they're still facing an existential threat to their um, business. So I, I think that you're going to see a huge increase in the delinquencies in that segment of the market. And the question is, does the Fed then say, OK, we're giving up on trying to maintain any pretense of integrity. We're just going to buy everything, right. including all the stuff that would otherwise go bankrupt um, and take all that risk onto our balance sheet. That's the question. If they if they aren't willing to do that, then that could really well, be. Well, let's flip that question around then. What? what what would cause them to not do that? <laughs> because it, it seems that, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, as we say in England. Yeah. Um, they're this deep now. What would stop them doing that? Because how do you say, oh, no, well, that's the line. That's the line. We won't cross that line. Right, Because it's, right. such, it's such a, it, com, considering what they have done in the junk bond markets, it's such an arbitrary line for them yeah. to decide not to cross. I mean, I, I, I fail to see how they can't just say, yeah, all right, we'll do that as well. I, I agree with you, but I, I think that um, this will be where they kind of fall on the sword is that they'll probably feel, hey, we want to maintain some sense of credibility and uh, seriousness about protecting uh, the quality of our, our uh, balance sheet and you know not exposing taxpayers to these losses. Uh, <laughs> and so it will take pain for them to finally say, okay, we are going to expand our, our, our support. Right, okay. Um, that's my sense, is that this is the thing where they're going to, we're going to have to see blood in the street for them to actually move on it. That's my gut. In okay, can case, they take that risk, do you think? Can they take that risk of allowing the blood to flow into the streets? Because I, 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 I don't know. I, 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 you, know you like to think that... You talk about things like protecting the integrity of their balance sheet. Right. I mean, what, what a quaint, old-fashioned right? notion that was. Right. But, but you know, I, I, when I kind of think that through, you could because, I mean, they, look, they, there's no way in which they come out of that okay because they either say, right, we're going to let these things fail, right. in which case they will fail by the hundreds of billions. Right. At which point they'll have to step in, and right. it just makes them look like they have no credibility, no backbone. Yeah, and they'll probably or, have to do more. Right, exactly right. Or, or, or they backstop it up front, in which case people will, and, and all this does, it, or whichever way around I think this through, I keep coming back to the only real place that people <laughs> can express a view on this, and that's the dollar. Yeah, it's the it's it's the only thing that they're not directly interfering with yet, but which should reflect everything they're doing. But you can't really express it versus the dollar because then you get into the question of every other central bank doing the same thing. Right. I mean, we're going to be the last probably to the party of 
flying yeah. well actually the eu will probably be the last to that I don't yeah know. yeah true um but who wants to play that contest of which central bank is the ugliest each day when you can just buy gold and call it a day right yeah, no, for sure <laughs> for sure i i, I just i mean I, I i i i totally agree with that and you you and i have been Boring each other since this about gold for a long time. Let alone other people. You never bore me. But but I but I but looking at looking at this this whole dollar thing because that that's such a battleground at the moment. I mean, you know, dollar Twitter is the best Twitter because there's 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 so much ideology on both sides, um, and and a lot of very smart people on both sides laying out very convincing theses and roadmaps and how this thing's going to play out with with absolute certainty. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing they seem to all agree on is that eventually the dollar just gets smoked. And so I'm curious on your view about that roadmap from here to there. You know, this, this, this spike that we're supposed to get in the dollar, I'm, I'm skeptical about it. I, you know, I think we may have either seen it or be close to the end of it. I, I don't know, but I, I, I just get the sense that we're not going to get that one super spike that, that, that some high profile dollar bulls are talking <laughs> about. But where, where, where do you sit on that whole thing? No, I'm with you. I think the last time you and I talked about this was right after the Fed had sort of unleashed the uh, swap lines, the dollar yeah. swap lines. And you had going into that that massive spike in the dollar on the shortage shortage of dollars, which was immediately solved by the Fed basically right. saying, we'll print as many dollars as you can possibly take. Uh, so I think we saw the spike, but I'm, you know, maybe I'm uh, too smug about that idea and, and missing the next leg here. But it just, it seems to me like as long as the Fed has the swap lines and it's willing to provide as many dollars as people need, um, it I just don't see why the dollar would experience that kind of super spike that people are talking right. about. Um, do you see a catalyst for that, or well, what, what I, would? I'm 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 a little um, I'm a little confused by by the. I mean, I, I I get the idea that there's a huge short. I get that, but I you know I, I too believe that the swap lines, unlimited swap lines, should should alleviate that problem. And, and okay, it's temporary because they're all it's all more borrowing. But ultimately, if if you if you believe that these currencies are all going to be worth zero. Borrow as many of them as you can, right? Yeah, <laughs> You're going to pay them back at zero. Then it, it doesn't really matter. Um, so, so I, I don't know. I, I, I've been a long-term dollar bear, and I've I've been bullish for periods, and it's had some good runs. Right now, I, I I'm I'm wary of this super spike that people are talking about. I can see how it could possibly happen, but I also think that um, if we get even a whiff of it. They will have to crush it because it, yeah. it it would cause the kind of damage that the dollar balls are talking about. Absolutely, where there's no question about yeah. the the ramifications of it. So, so I don't know. And again, it, it does. You're, as you as you pointed out, right, it brings us back to gold. And 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 realistically, you know, when you look at gold, it's performed very well mm. relative to a lot of other assets. Yeah. But but it hasn't done anything like what one would expect it to, given. Right. The circumstances. I mean, how do you explain I, that? I mean, I was just going to ask you, don't you think that that's because 
people believe all this is temporary and that eventually we go back to a Fed balance sheet that's quote unquote only four trillion. Uh, That'll never happen. I think we're ever going back there again, do you? I know, definitely not. But I I think that must be why I, to my mind, when I look at it, it's the same as the stock market. So we're now down, I think, just 14% from the all time record high. Um, yeah. As we find ourselves white knuckled on the dashboard of the Great Depression, basically, right, you know, right, right. <laughs> something there just doesn't seem to fit. I, you know, so and the idea that gold isn't five thousand, again, you know, is mystifying to me. But it, the only explanation could be that people feel like this ride is going to be over really fast. Yeah. Um, and they have incredible confidence in policymakers' ability to steer us around this um, and get us to the other side, which is just mind-boggling to me since well, policymakers have proven themselves to get everything wrong every single time. I know, right? right? They, are, they are batting a thousand. It's it right. amazing. Well, I mean, look, however long this ride lasts, we're on it. I mean, that's that's yeah. the thing, right? The, 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 your hands and arms are inside the car and we're now on the tracks and we, and we have no idea what we're going to see. And we have no idea how long the ride's going to go on for. At some point, it'll come to a stop. And, and when we get off, who knows what the, what the amusement park's going to look like at that right, point. I, mean, right. I, I, I have no idea. Oh, but, I mean, the good news is, as we take this ride, uh, you've promised that we can have these conversations a bit more often, which I, is If which you're is willing good to for do me. it, it's great I, I, for me. It's I'm fun. absolutely willing to do that. It's good for me, and, it, and it's good for the people listening. So, um, well, Steph, that hour has flown by as they tend to do whenever I get a chance to sit and chat with you um all that remains I guess for us to do is to is to thank the six people who are listening to this Uh, (laughs) thanks mom you me thanks families um but hopefully what our families can start spreading the word and get a few more people to listen to this um stuff that we're going to do Steph and I'll talk about stuff that we find interesting um we'll try and keep seinfeld out of it as much as we possibly can but we'll we'll talk about inflation we're going to talk about the debt jubilee um and if you have any questions or any any stuff that you'd like to hear us talk about then let us know via our twitter handle uh, at sth hour that's at sth hour you can follow us individually you can follow me at ttmygh and me at uh s s Pomboy. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> oh boy, new but, to Twitter. Uh, so. But but we'll be back occasionally, and we're going to have some guests on. Uh, we're going to lean on some of our friends to come and yeah. give up an hour of their valuable time to come and talk to us about all this nonsense. Um, and Con we and will, favors everywhere. Yeah, we're kind of pulling all our chips. We're going to actually call <laughs> in all our markers. Uh, not that we have many between us, but yeah. I'm sure we're, we're good for a few episodes. So, Steph, thank you as always. Thank it's you. It's always lovely to talk to you. It's a pleasure. Um, we'll do it again whenever we feel the need. What do you say? Uh, that sounds super and terrific. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Alrighty.